I want to welcome all of our campuses, Lake Point, Real Life, glad you guys are with us. It was wonderful to take a moment in this service at all of our campuses and, and pray for the tragedies that have happened this week and really focus, uh, fix our eyes on Jesus, which is what we're going to talk about a little bit later today. But I hate to admit this to you, but I did not know any of the events of this week until late Friday night. Because I was in the middle of the woods in Yosemite National Park and my phone did not work and it was awesome. I mean, I didn't know any bad news. Uh, It's just something about getting away. We were on our annual man trip, we call it, with my boys on extreme camping. And it was just something about your phone not working. Something about society not being able to tell you any bad news or anybody able to call you and tell you about a problem you need to solve. Just being out in creation to be reminded of the eternal power and divine nature of God. And so we were out there and and I was just reflecting on how good God is, how amazing he is working in our church at 10 locations, including our internet campus. And you've heard a lot of bad news this week. Are you ready to hear some good news? Uh, Here's some great news. There's a Middle Eastern pastor in a country where Christians are highly persecuted and his house church is connected to our internet campus and they watch us each weekend And they're seeing conversions, and I got permission to show this to you because they're baptizing new believers. Here's a baptism in the Middle East, ladies and gentlemen. Powerful. I love this. And Do you see the shirt there? Did you see the shirt? Life change happens here. Does that look familiar? That's our shirt. We're changing the world one community at a time. That's just wonderful. Listen, I want to welcome... In a special way, all those who connect over the internet, literally around the world, we're thrilled you're with us. I'm gonna ask you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter nine as we continue our series called Radical, looking at the hard sayings of Jesus. And let me just tell you that sayings don't get any easier, they get more radical, and today is no exception. Uh, This saying today is gonna continue to shatter any perception you may have that Jesus is just some mild and meek and approachable, nice teacher who hung out with sick people and widows. That is not a complete view or accurate view of who Jesus really is. He, he, the reality is he said some things that were the most radical things any person in history has ever said. And he said these hard sayings to people he was actually trying to persuade to follow him. And I want you to see what he says in Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 43. And if you don't have a Bible, just take out your worship guide and you'll be able to follow along in the text there and hopefully even take some notes today. We find this hard saying, Jesus says in verse 43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with Only one eye than to have two eyes be thrown into hell where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. Well, aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) I think you will be after we really dig into this. Uh, Before we look at what Jesus is actually saying, let's make sure we understand what he's not saying. I think you'll be relieved to know Jesus is not advocating self-mutilation. I think you'll be happy to know we do not have tables at the back of the room with chainsaws so you can cut off your hands and feet that have caused you to sin this week. Uh, But seriously, this still is an extreme saying. It's a hard saying. And for those of us who follow Christ, I believe this is going to be a hard message to hear because it's going to be convicting. 
Now that's different than guilt. Guilt is man-made, but conviction, it comes from God's spirit within us to say something needs to change. And as we really get into this extreme saying, Jesus is using extreme language to cause us to do extreme things to be radical followers of him. And when I think about extreme things, I think about uh, the trip that I took this week. We felt like real men out in the woods. We disappeared for five days, hiked 34 miles. We climbed Mount Watkins. We had 65 pounds on our back when we disappeared because we had a lot of food, but the weight got lighter as we walked along and ate it. Uh, But it was still an incredible adventure with my boys. It's great to get away once a year. And yes, that is snow that we're standing on in the middle of July, okay? And it was wonderful to be away. And one of our campsites was actually at the top of Yosemite Falls, which you can see here. And I apologize for my lack of video expertise, but this is the best I could do with my phone. And as we uh, camped on top of this 3,500-foot precipice looking at these amazing vistas, it was wonderful to feel like adventurers, to feel like extreme guys as we looked down on all those poor tourists on the July 4th week who just had to live down in the valley riding shuttles around as we were out in nature and, and really away and looking down on everybody else. And literally from that view that you just saw, we were standing there on that cliff feeling like true extreme adventurers. And I looked to my right and there was a guy standing there and you know, I was feeling all good, like we climbed this, we were, we're out here, our phones don't work. I said, how did you get up here? And he said, oh, I just climbed that sheer face right there and I just made it up. All of a sudden I felt very humbled. I felt like a tourist again. I felt like I'm really nobody because I did, you just climbed, yeah, 3,500 feet sheer rock. He said, yeah, I've climbed many of these sheer cliffs and some of them take several days. I literally sleep on the side of the mountain, literally sheer, sheer cliff. I, it, just, it just humbled me. I'm praying that today this extreme saying of Jesus actually humbles us. Some of us think we're pretty good Christians. You know, I'm a good Christian. I, I go to church most of the time, even when it rains. I'm all in. I read my Bible sometimes, even between the weekends. I hope that today this, this saying causes us to realize, wait a minute, there's some extreme things Christ is calling me to do. When I was talking to that guy on the top of the cliff, I thought about a true story that became a movie called 127 Hours. It's a true story about an adventure seeker named Aaron Ralston. This guy was all in to adventure, and he made my boy's trip uh, look really, really small because he had already climbed in his early 20s the 59 highest points in Colorado, and he wanted to seek adventure. And one day, uh, like any other day of adventure, on April the 26th, 2013, Aaron got up like most days, and he mapped out his adventure. He didn't tell anybody where he was going. He usually didn't, didn't do that. And he was in Canyonlands State Park. And he decided to, that morning, he got his car, went to a remote parking lot. Then he got his mountain bike and he rode eight miles into this national park. And then he chained his bike to a tree. I guess it was a rough neighborhood. I don't know. But anyway, chained his bike to a tree to come back to it. And he hiked several more miles in to an area of that national park called Blue John's Canyon. And there he began to explore what's called slot canyons. They're about three foot gaps in the earth and you just go down into these slot canyons and explore the caves there and come back out. He'd done it many times. And on this particular time, he was going into one slot canyon, three feet wide, and as he did, all of a sudden his gear just kind of, you know, had a little tweak in it, and he fell. 
And as he fell and lost his footing, he didn't mean to, but he dislodged an 800-pound boulder that fell with him. As he fell into that shaft, that boulder trapped his hand between him and the wall. And even though he was flat-footed, standing at the bottom of this, this slot canyon, he couldn't move. His hand was stuck. And that's what the movie's about. He didn't know what to do. He tried several things for hours and days, tried to escape, but his hand was caught. And after five days and seven hours of being trapped, that's where you get the name of the movie, 127 Hours, he came to a very drastic decision. His water was running out, his food was running out, he realized the rescue workers wouldn't find him in time, and he decided to do something radical. And it's really crazy for even me to say it out loud, but he decided to cut off his own hand in order to live. And that's exactly what he did. He pulled out a very dull two-inch knife. It took 10 minutes in the movie. It took an hour in real life. And if this really is, you know, kind of unnerving for you, don't go watch the movie. And he amputated his own hand. And he made his own tourniquet, and he climbed out of that slot canyon with one hand, and he began to walk back to his bike. He made it five miles until he ran into a family that was just on vacation. Can you imagine that vacation? Hey, kids, look, there's a rock. Look, there's a tree. Look, there's a guy with one hand. And they rescued him and took him to the hospital, and now he's one of the most uh, you know, sought-after speakers and adventure lovers and explorers because he did one of the most radical things ever. He's the hero of, of expeditions. You say, well, what does that have to do with this radical saying today? Well, it has everything to do with it. Think about this. Human nature says when you're faced with certain death, you'll do anything to survive no matter how radical it is. If I interviewed you, you wouldn't want it to be your first choice, your hundredth choice. But if, you, if I said, you're either going to physically live with one hand or die with two, which one are you going to do? You say, I'm going to cut off my hand. That's what I'm going to do. I want to live. There's something about our physical nature that says we want to live physically. What Jesus is saying with this hard saying is, is if you want to live physically and you'd be willing to cut off your hand to do so, where is that kind of passion? And where's that kind of urgency spiritually when you're holding on to a sin that is killing your soul? See, here's the big idea of the day if you're taking notes. What Jesus is saying is, is I came to not only forgive your sins, uh, but I came so you wouldn't be comfortable in them. You see, Jesus, here's the big idea. He, he doesn't want us just to realize that he came to forgive our sins. He says, I don't want to make you comfortable in your sin. He wants you to realize today, no matter what you've done, where you've been, what mistakes you've made, you are forgiven, but don't get comfortable now that you are forgiven. I think about the story in John chapter 8 that's one of my favorite stories in the Gospels, and maybe you uh, resonate with it too, but it's the story of the woman caught in adultery. And these self-righteous religious men bring this woman to Jesus and throw her at his feet and say, she must be stoned because she sinned. We all love the story because Jesus calmly stands up and says to them, you know what, you're right, let's stone her. But I tell you what, whoever's not sinned among you, throw the first stone at her. We all love the story because those self-righteous men all of a sudden realize they were in need of forgiveness too and they dropped their stones and walked away. But I think we conveniently forget exactly what Jesus told that woman because we all remember that he said, you're forgiven, I don't condemn you. But, but that's only part of his message. Uh, let me show you it to you on the screen. In John chapter eight, verse 10, 
This is what happens after all the self-righteous men leave. That Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. But watch what Jesus said. And Jesus said, neither do I. And here's five powerful words. Go and sin no more. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, is I forgive you. But I'm not forgiving you so you can go back and do what you've been doing. I'm not forgiving you so you can go back to that old life. I created you for something more. I created you for something better. I created you for something significant. Don't go back to that path. You're on a new path now. And if you think about how that woman felt, we've all felt that way. She felt guilty. She felt ashamed. All the fingers pointing at her. Look at what she has done. We've all been there, and then we've sensed that forgiveness. Jesus says, I forgive you. Because of the cross, we can find forgiveness. And we're thankful for that. And we say, yes, thank you, Lord. Is there anything else this woman can do but become a true follower of Jesus? Can't you see it? She's, gonna, she's not going to go back to that old way of life. She's not going to look back in the rearview mirror. She's going to cut it off, if you will. She's got a new life now. She's got a new freedom now because of the forgiveness and grace of the one who loved her and is not going to hold that sin over her anymore. In the same way, can we look at the forgiveness of Jesus and just blink? Can we look at the forgiveness of Jesus and go our own way? Can we look at the forgiveness of Jesus and hold on to sin? Can't we too look and say, I've been forgiven the grace and the freedom I have. I must walk a new way. I must live a different life. I must follow a radical Savior. I want to ask you to turn to Proverbs chapter 4, and let's unpack this some more. And I want to share with you three questions that I think will help you wrestle with how to apply this hard saying. Because I hope you're picking up on this because this is not an eye issue. This is not a foot issue. This is not a hand issue. This is a heart issue. Jesus is saying this extreme words here, making extreme statements so we can make extreme decisions about how we're gonna protect our own hearts spiritually so that we can make sure our lives are following him because our hearts, our souls, is the part of us that lives forever. Look at Proverbs chapter four. I'll show you several verses. Look at verse 23. It says, guard your, here it is, heart. Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Jesus is saying this hard saying, he's saying, I want you to get serious about guarding your heart because it is literally the course of your life. Your version may say the wellspring of life. But notice the first word, he says guard. It's very serious. It was the word used to guard a wall at night. Jesus is saying don't sleep on the night shift. Don't get comfortable in your own sin. How do you guard your heart? How do you not get comfortable in your own sin? Well, you evaluate your hands, your eyes, and your feet. You get serious about what your hands and your eyes and your feet are doing. Let me show you from Proverbs chapter four. Go up to verse 13. Proverbs chapter four, verse 13. Here's a verse about hands. It says, take hold with your hands. Take hold of my instructions. Don't let them go. Guard them, for they are the key to life. Here's the first question. If you're taking notes, you can write down. What am I holding close What am I holding close to me? What you hold close affects your heart. What you hold close either draws your heart toward God or moves your heart away from him. What are you holding close today? Maybe you're holding on to a grudge. Maybe you're holding on to anger like Pastor Steve was talking about. Maybe you're holding on to resentment. You've got to let go. You you can't hold on to that. It's taking your heart away from God. Maybe you're holding on to the stuff of the earth. You know, Jesus talked more about money and possessions than he did heaven and hell. 
Why? Because those things that are temporary can draw your heart away from what is really important, what's eternal. And he's saying you got to be generous. Why? That means you're letting go. If you're not generous, that's a sin. You've got to make sure you let go of the things that are temporary to take hold of the things that are eternal. What are you holding on to? Maybe you're holding on to the opinions of others, what's trending on social media, what all your friends are doing. You've got to let go and not conform to the pattern of this world anymore, but be transformed by letting God change the way you think. Maybe you're holding on to a sin. No one even knows about it. And you're so comfortable with it because it's been in your life so long that you're not letting go. You're saying you're following Jesus, but you're not letting go of it. You know what you're doing with that sin? You're, you're spiegeling it. You know who Spiegel is from Lord of the Rings, if you've read or seen the movies? Spiegel's that really ugly guy that can't let go of that ring. It's his precious thing. And the whole movie you're going, please let that go. You're really ugly, okay? Please let that ring go. Do something else. That ring's killing you, okay? But he can't let go. And maybe that's what you're doing. You're keeping your sin just close enough where you feel good about it as a Christian, but close enough to take hold of it when you want to. What Jesus is saying is, no, 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 you gotta cut that off. Don't hold that close. Because what you hold close affects your heart. What are you holding close if your hands are holding anything besides God's voice and his truth, it's taking your heart away. Look at your eyes in verse 25. Go down to verse 25. He says, look straight ahead. Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Here's the second question. Where are my eyes looking? If you want to know where your heart is and if you're taking this hard saying seriously, look at what your eyes are looking at. Get drastic about that. We know that part of this saying, this hard saying about eyes, Jesus is definitely referring to sexual sin and the temptation of our eyes. In Matthew chapter five, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to the religious, uh, self-righteous leaders, he says, you say don't commit adultery. I say if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with her already. And then the very next thing Jesus says is, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. There's definitely a, a, a warning here towards sexual sin when it comes to our eyes. Did you know that secular society is even realizing the damaging effects of what that does? Time Magazine, you guys know that Time Magazine is not a theological journal, right? The front cover of Time Magazine recently, this year in April, talked about pornography. It basically talked about how young men who've grown up in a pornographic society are now saying enough is enough. And it gave all these really sad statistics, which I won't read all of them, but pornography is now a $97 billion industry a year. One out of every five searches on Google is looking for sexual material. The average age of first exposure to pornography now is the age of eight. Won't give me more sad statistics, but they're just talking about how this is harmfully affecting the mental health of guys and the horrible effects to young women. But it says, I quote, this is from Time Magazine, Americans have to control ourselves and stop this epidemic, end quote. Even secular society is realizing there are things that we look at that are killing our souls and our relationship even with other people. Job chapter 31 verse 1 is one of the most powerful verses I know about this issue and my boys and I talked about it in our camping expedition this week but it says this, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. What Job is saying is, is my eyes affect my heart. 
and I'm making a decision to protect what I look at, and I'm going to respect women by where my eyes go and what they look at. Now, if you don't struggle with pornography, you may be sitting back and saying, ah, I don't really deal with that. Let's talk about Amazon Prime. This message just got personal. What's the difference? You see something you don't need. You don't even, listen, you don't need to have it, but you, one click away. It is one click away. You can have it. Did you know that according to Huffington Post, they are now, counselors are now dealing with people who have addictions to Amazon Prime. Because what they see, they have to have, and they can't do anything about it. It has become something uncontrollable. It's drawing their heart away. We have to think about what our eyes are looking at. I love Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. This is what we did in our worship song before this message started today. I love this. It says, let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. You could sense it in the room, couldn't you? All the things you brought in this room, when you start focusing on Jesus, it changed. Watch this. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from beginning to end. He did not give up because of the cross. On the contrary, because of the joy that was waiting for him, he thought nothing of the disgrace of dying on the cross, and he is now seated at the right side of God's throne. Keep your eyes fixed on the things you want your heart to be drawn to. Guard your heart by guarding your eyes. Let's talk about our feet. Verse 26. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 26. It says, mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Here's the third question. Where am I going? Why would Jesus say, cut off your foot? Because your feet take you to places that are away from God. Your feet must be going toward God, taking your entire body toward the things of God. This is not just talking about where you're going this Friday night, although it's included here. Make sure your feet are carrying you to places that are gonna help you and be beneficial and motivate you and encourage you to things of Christ. It's also talking about where you're headed for eternity. Where are you going? If you're a Christian, you're going to heaven because of Jesus. And so what Jesus is saying is, well, act like you're headed there. That's why he's talking about heaven and hell so much because every soul, listen to me right now, is gonna spend eternity in one of two places. And the way you get to heaven is by receiving the free forgiveness of Jesus. Then Jesus is saying, now act like you're headed there. You see, you may say, well, I'm going to heaven, but I'm gonna live like I'm going to hell. And Jesus says, that is not acceptable. If you're going to heaven, it's time to get radical. It's time for people to glance at your life and go, oh, that person's going to heaven. I talked to a person before this service last night, it's Saturday night service, and they were there early. I said, you know, hey, you're here early. Said, I'm coming from a funeral. I said, I'm so sorry. He goes, no, no, you know what? It's a celebration because my friend lived like he was going to heaven. He gave, gave up several offers to make lots of money and help inner city kids, and he was always helpful. He's always serving. He's always generous, and you could just tell that heaven was his home. And by your life, what you do with your eyes, your hands, your feet, can you tell that you're going to heaven. Jesus is saying, keep your feet on the right path. Look at what he says in the next verse, verse 27. He says, don't get sidetracked, don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. That's what Jesus is saying in this hard saying. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your hands free to serve me. Keep your eyes clear to fix on me. Keep your feet on the path like you're heading toward me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the path to heaven. So what are those things that are stealing 
your heart away, that are destroying your soul as God would have you to live. I love what Jesus says in John 10, verse 10. He says it this way, a thief, I love this is the message uh, translation, a thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Your version may say abundant life. This is overflowing life, more than you've ever dreamed of. And here's the question today. What are you doing that is keeping you from that incredible life Christ wants you to have? What are you looking at? Where are you going with your feet? What are you holding close with your hands that is keeping you from that kind of life that's more than you ever dreamed of? You say, well, it's not that really that serious. I mean, are you serious? Is it really stealing or killing or destroying me? Yes. We all know as Christians that sin leads to death, but why do we hold on to those things? We say, what could it steal, kill, and destroy? It can steal your desire to worship God. It can kill your desire to give, to pray, to read the Bible. It can kill the affection you should have for the one who gave his life and does not count your sin against you. And Jesus is saying it's not gonna be that way. He's calling us with this extreme statement to say, I want you, everything I created, to experience life. I want you to experience grace. I want you to walk in freedom. I want your eyes to be clear. I want your hands to be pure. I want your feet to be walking the right path. I want you to have a clear conscience, head held high, and saying I'm a child of God who is living a different life, who I've been forgiven, and now I'm going from there, and I'm sinning no more. This is not talking about perfection, by the way. This is talking about living a different life. It's not talking about perfection, but the direction of your heart. You say, well, what do I do with this? How do I apply this as I wrestle with these questions? What are some action points? And, and I actually learned the action points I wanna give you uh, from a couple of guys I met on the trail. I was feeling very extreme until I met these two guys. And, and I'll show you a picture of them. His name is Corey and, and Mike. Corey and Mike ran into these guys on the trail and, and they were actually right at the very first trailhead. And, and uh, I said, you know, they said, hey, where are you going? I said, hey, we're walking 34 miles in the woods. I got 65 pounds on my back. We're doing this and I'm trying to really, you know, brag to them what I'm doing. I said, what are you guys doing? They said, oh, we, we're hiking from Mexico to Canada. I was like, well, what did you just say? So yeah, yeah, uh, you know, it's gonna take us 155 days. We've already mapped it out. Uh, we, you know, we left eight miles into Mexico and now here we're in Yosemite. We're, you know, about three and a half months in now, you know, and all of a sudden I'm feeling this small again. I'm hoping that's what this extreme statement's gonna do for you as a Christian, you know? Like, hey, I'm a great, wait a minute, there's, there's, there's more, there's more. And these guys are walking 2,660 miles. And they were just my inspiration. I got, I got to know them, and, and, and I got the extreme action points I wanted to give you from the conversation with these two guys as we walked on the trail for about a mile. And let me just tell you, it was obvious that they had made some extreme decisions to get this done. And here, here's, here's three things I wanna just, just end with. First one is, is I want you to get in a life group. I found out that Corey and Mike decided that they should never walk this trail alone. That was Aaron Rousen's problem, by the way. He got stuck in that canyon, nobody was there to help him. When you get stuck, who's there to help you? When you're struggling, who's there to pray for you? And I wanna encourage you, we're gonna have a big push for life groups this fall. If you've never been in one, that's how this church gets smaller. We are a church of small groups. Get in one, find people to encourage you that you can encourage, they can encourage you, pray for you, you can pray for them. I just wanna encourage you to do that. I encourage you to find people who are gonna be on that trail, walk that path with you. We had uh, one of the officers that was uh, shot actually come to service Saturday night. She's part of our fellowship. 
And uh, she came to Connection Center for prayer, and as she was there, um, the person praying for her, you can't make this stuff up, just praying for comfort over her life and those uh, the others, uh, officers that we've already prayed for. And, and uh, she said, you know, are you going to life group? She said, we will have a life group, but they're in Egypt. They all left to go on a mission trip to Egypt. And the lady that prayed for them in the Connection Center said, come to my life group. We've got five police officers. We'd love for you to be in our group tonight. I said, oh, that'd be great. And don't you just know that in the most tragic of times, isn't it great in the crisis of life to have people there that you're not stuck in a canyon by yourself? Get into a life group. Here's another thing I learned from Corey and Mike, that you uh, make a decision before you do something. The way I would say this for Christians is, is decide before you're tempted. In other words, decide before you're tempted what you're gonna do with that certain temptation. These guys made a decision, we're gonna get to Canada from Mexico, and they everything in their lives leveraged for that, and there was a lot of things they have cut off in order to do that. As a matter of fact, I was like, hey, what are you guys doing so low on the ground here at this trailhead? And they said, oh, we just came down in the valley because it's Corey's birthday, and he wanted a, a, a water that we didn't have to purify out of the creek and a chocolate candy bar for his birthday. I'm like, well, I wanted a new phone for my birthday, but okay. I mean, they went to extreme measures and they made a decision they're gonna cut off a lot of things in their life in order to reach the goal. And listen, Christians, are you going to heaven? Yes, you are, by the grace of Jesus Christ. And if you're going there, it's time to let go of some things so you can get there with a clean heart, clean hands, and clear eyes fixed on Jesus. And so make a decision before it happens and what that means is this last thing is just, you gotta be drastic about it, okay? You gotta make some drastic decisions. I don't know what your drastic measures are, but you need to make them, and you need to stick to them. And we don't need to let this hard saying settle in our hearts and then go away. I don't know, what, what is that drastic decision for you? What is it? Make it. Don't get off the path. Whatever that just drastic decision is, decide right now before you leave here, before you stop listening to this message that you're gonna follow that path because of the forgiveness. You're gonna go now and sin no more. What is it? Maybe you need to quit that job. Maybe you need to move from that apartment complex. Maybe you need to change your phone number. Maybe you need to get rid of that app on your smartphone. Maybe you need to just cancel cable. Maybe you need to change your travel schedule. Maybe you need to let go of that bitterness. Maybe you need to stop buying things that you don't need. Maybe you need to get some accountability in your life. I don't know what your struggle is, but get drastic with it. Whatever is killing your soul, get it out of your house. Get it out of your life. Break up with that girl. Break up with that guy. So you know what, enough is enough. I'm not going to that place anymore. I'm gonna start getting in a recovery group. I'm gonna share with somebody that I'm struggling because the drastic measures that you take show that you're listening to the radical savior that calls us to not just be forgiven, but to act like we're forgiven and to live like you're going to a place called heaven. The best way to summarize this message is with a song that my mom taught me as a kid. I'm not gonna sing it to you. But I'll quote some of it. Be careful, little hands, what you hold. Be careful, little hands, what you hold. For the Father up above is looking down with love. Be careful, little hands, what you hold. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. 
For the Father up above is looking down with love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little feet, where you go. For there's a Father up above. He's looking down with love. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in this moment, as we reflect on the radical saying of our radical Savior, forgive us when we have not taken seriously what it means to follow him and made guarding our hearts serious business. Help us to take drastic measures so that we can be radical, extreme followers of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us not to try to do this alone. Give us a passion and courage to find community, Lord, to get in a life group, to join a, a church family, to, to do life and celebrate and go through crisis with others. And Father, help us not to try to do this without you. If there's anyone listening to me that's never opened their heart to your forgiveness, may they hear your words that you said to that woman with those self-righteous judge around, may they hear you are not condemned and may they receive that forgiveness and may they leave here differently. But in this dark world, give us a radical faith and a genuine love and a real hope for a place called heaven. And in this dark world, help us not to be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. For we ask this in the name of our Savior and our radical Lord, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Let's give God a hand for his grace and his truth.